Hello and welcome to Community Topics, number 11 of Dualist Community. I am chilling. Honestly, feel a little bit like after my experience on Friday that we talked about yesterday that got a new lease on life and feels pretty good. And there hasn't been a whole lot that stressed me out or worried me recently. And yeah, just been very, very relaxed. And I am still very grateful that you are alive. If anybody hasn't caught the last episode, definitely go back and visit it where we talk about Andrew's Friday experience and the reason that he is feeling so relaxed. I'm just grateful. I spent the evening kind of thinking about it and talking to my wife about it and just recognizing how many things could have went south in terms of your experience and the fact that they didn't. And sometimes they don't. And I've had more than a few experiences like that where you can recognize how Christians or believers will often say, I was guarded by a guardian angel or somebody was watching my back that day because it really does feel like there was some kind of blessing or there was some kind of benevolent force on your side, making sure that it didn't go that way. But oddly enough, there are probably infinite other variations of what happened Friday night where you did end up dead. And this is one of the variations where you're not. So I'm grateful we're in that variation and that you're still with us and that we are now on community topics number 11. And I'm not going to lie, this, this topic today has been one that I've been a little apprehensive about because while this is community topics number 11, this may conceivably be the last community topics, depending on how we handle this conversation. The topics that were voted on by the community this week, and I would like to give a shout out to Maddie for working so hard to make sure that the top voted topic this week just kept getting into the vote every week for the last month or so. Today, we're going to be talking about sexualization in terms of gender roles, gender responsibilities, over-sexualization of each gender, and we're going to be talking about free will and predeterminism. Now, it may not be absolutely clear how those two things tie together. But during my walk just before this episode, they did. And I can't remember how they did now, but we're gonna go back along that walk and maybe adventure down a few other paths. And I swear it will come together at some point and make cohesive sense. So without any further ado, let's just get into it. So sexualization. I find this argument really, really interesting because it depends on who you're talking to in terms of what they'll complain about. Because somebody who values themselves based on their sexual identity typically doesn't have a problem with sexualization. They enjoy being sexualized because that's where they put their sense of value. So we all know people like that. But then on the other, on the other hand, you have people who don't want to be sexualized at all because they don't value themselves that way. They value themselves in terms of their expression or in terms of their intelligence or in terms of their talents or any number of things. And so when we're talking about sexualization, what we're really talking about is sex. At the end of the day, we're talking about the drive to have sex. And I don't see anything wrong with that drive. As with everything in nature, perfectly normal, there will be a balance. I mean, this is the very base of even um, our relationship on a cellular level, you know, divide and multiply, as it were, continue to grow. So having sex is kind of, kind of a necessary thing in order to keep the species going. So in that way, it's a safety mechanism. It's meant to 
propagate humanity or, or whatever life form is having sex and continue that experience. And so there's nothing wrong there, but then we start sexualizing. It goes from being the act of procreation or the act of intimacy or relationship, and it becomes about objectification, it becomes about roles, it becomes about expectation, it becomes about valuing ourselves according to these things. And so as with all concepts, it starts to turn toxic. But at its most basic level, our desire to have sex and our tendency to view things sexually is a mechanism to keep us alive. It's a survival mechanism. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that as with everything, as with every step of ego development, we got stuck. We stopped developing our perspective of sex as a whole, of ourselves as a whole. And so it's almost like we stopped growing past that base biological intention to keep ourselves alive. And we didn't recognize that we started having more awareness. And so those same strategies didn't necessarily need to be propagated further, like give you a perfect example of people who want to have a big family. And, you know, I want to have five, six, seven kids. Well, why? Well, because my parents had five, six, seven kids and their parents had five, six, seven kids and all the way down the line. Right. Because all the way down the line, we used to live tribally. The bigger your family, the more, the more likely you were to survive. That was the way we survived for the longest time. You had the McGregors, say in Scotland or something like that, or, or you had the Smiths over in England. Like These were clans of people that grew up together and took care of one another in a kind of tribal society way, except they shared a family name. And that's it. We don't live like that anymore at all. We're all very individual. We don't have to lean on one another quite so, so much in order to survive. And so that mentality of, I'm going to have as many kids as I can, and we're all going to gather around and have these certain set traditions that people have had for hundreds of years, that mentality is falling apart. Right? That's why so many people don't cherish those traditions for the same reason. So many people don't have those holidays for the same intentions that they used to. You know, Christmas used to bring us together for an entirely different reason than gifts. Right? It was about connection. It was about taking the time to be with the people that you relied upon and loved and cherished in your life. Now it's a chance to get together with people who share your family name because they owe you something, damn it. <laughs> and, and that's the point, right? Like everything has changed over time, but we continue to act as if they haven't. And so I think getting stuck on sexualization is one of those habits that's been just unquestioned for years. I mean, we see it all the time. How often have you seen an adult talking to another adult who has a child, whether a child is a little girl or a little boy, and you'll hear this comment or something along these lines. Oh, he's gonna be a heartbreaker. Oh, the boys are gonna be chasing her one day, you better watch out. That's a toddler that we are immediately ascribing sexualization to, that we are immediately viewing in terms of their adult sexual nature because we value ourselves that way. So we see them that way. And so we just pass it down the line. And, and it's, it's like that. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, I was so nervous to talk to girls because anytime I did, some adult would be like, oh, Ray's got a girlfriend or something like that. And there was always this pressure. I remember the very first time I went to talk to a girl that I liked, I ran away. 
I ran away because of all the pressure. I was scared to death because talking to her was somehow going to make her my girlfriend. Like it was the weirdest concept to live within that was reinforced by everybody else around me because they all viewed themselves that way. So now that we've kicked off that conversation, it's on to you, Andrew. Oh boy, I have so many notes written down from that. I feel like I could take this 10 different directions, but it's funny that that example you just said about getting called out when you're just like interacting with a girl, same exact type of thing happened to me. I, I can remember it so vividly. It was like first, second, third grade, like seven years old or so on the bus. I sat, I was sitting next to a girl because it was the only open seat and typically it was always just like i would just sit with my guy friends and the fucking bus driver looks back and says hey you two don't smooch and it just like this dread came over me and it was like one of the first impactful moments i can remember being embarrassed because everyone started laughing and it was like this big thing and that motherfucker like that definitely has like i can still remember it that was 20 years ago, two decades ago. And it's the same type of thing. And it's so fascinating how, how much it has infiltrated our experience. And so I think these two topics of like free will predeterminism and sexualization actually do very much go hand in hand as humans, as much as we recognize that we are nature, we are humans as well. And we have developed further than some of our mammalian reptilian ancestors. And so we do have an ability to differentiate and, and see what the potential impacts of our actions are actually going to be. So something we see in nature a lot that we don't, we have recognized as humans because we are able to see things more clearly. We have a more developed brain is rape in nature. Like there is not consensual sex that happens in nature almost ever. Like it, it happens, I guess, if, if there's certain mammals and, and certain animals that are, you know, they are together forever, whatever it may be. But most of the time it's like, I, I guess I saw it on the, there's a bunch of dogs in Costa Rica and I saw it on the beach the other day, a dog, there was a group of dogs. One just ran up behind one and just like started pounding it out with it. It's like that one, it didn't say yes. It didn't say anything like that. So we've been able to, as humans now, we know like that's horrendous as a human to, to experience that. It's a very jarring, difficult, like just absolutely horrendous, worst of the worst type situations that we have in humanity is something like rape, but it happens all the time in the animal kingdom. So We've been able over time to develop, you know, beyond that level. So we are able to see, you know, the potential impacts of things and how sexualization impacts not only other people, but society as a whole. And the other side of it that we can recognize now that Ray brought up before with, you know, building a tribe, building a clan back then. There was a benefit to having a massive family, to having a massive tribe. Now we have more awareness. We recognize we don't need to have 10 kids. We don't even need to have any kids, quite frankly, 
but it's still, it's like this thing we hold up as like, you know, I've had this many kids like, oh, I have a strong seed. Oh, I have, you know, whatever egotistical bullshit people cling to related to that experience of having a large family. Now, because we have this deeper awareness, more developed brain, this, you know, along the lines of, of free will, despite our innate nature and drive to procreate, we have the free will side of it being the awareness to recognize the potential impacts of everyone having 10 fucking kids running around and the potential impacts and, and the recognition that earth is a limited place. And as of right now, you know, Elon hasn't quite figured out how to get to Mars. So we're confined to this. So maybe everyone having shitloads of kids isn't what's best for society. And this mentality, this egoic mentality that when it goes unquestioned is so dangerous and detrimental of more, 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 more gets in the way of, of our ability to see that, you know, when is more enough, like when is enough enough. And so there's obviously the innate desire to procreate that we have. That's sort of like the predeterministic side of sexualization that I think about. But then there's also our ability to see things with eyes wide open. And that's more or less the free will side of it, because we do have innate desires to procreate. You know, you, you're walking down the street, you see someone attractive. There is an aspect of you that maybe some sexual thoughts arise, but there's a difference between acting on a thought and thinking a thought. There is obviously a fucking massive difference between those two things. And that I'm sure is a little bit of what we'll get into in this episode, but yeah, there's, there's a ton of crossover between these two topics and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're talking about the base biological drive, but then we look at the societal impact of the ego over time where all of a sudden it wasn't just about procreating. Now it was about ownership. It was about marriage, but it gets worse because you also had the idea that if you were a man and you had lots of sex, that that made you more manly. But religion used to kind of mitigate that because they would say like, you want to get married. You want to be with a single person for the rest of your life, but don't worry because you own them. So although you're not out there sleeping with everyone, you are in fact owning a human being and they are supposed to act in a certain way. And so all of a sudden the ego took our base need to procreate and put a structure around it and double down on control. And so now we had men and women acting in a certain way, according to the rules of their community, whether they wanted to or not. And half the time, if they didn't live according to, to those rules, and I mean this sincerely, they would be stoned to death. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's exactly like it sounds, being bludgeoned to death with big fucking rocks. It's not a pleasant way to die. But this is how communities used to punish people who didn't listen to the rules and didn't abide by the way they saw things. And so the ego once again gets in there and starts dividing people according to identity and according to their physical attributes. We talked about this a little bit in the roundtable um, last time with Daisy and Sophie about how men are physically stronger by and large on, on average, not, not all men, obviously. Right. And women tend to be more empathetic and more intelligent than, than men, probably because those men are by and large focused on their muscles and the things that they can accomplish with them. Or at least that again, has been our historical trend, not constant. 
it's not constant by any means. But what's interesting is that you could carry on the thought of, of either side being free of the other side, and they would do just fine until the population dies. Like if you were to have just a population of all men, they would do just fine. I'm sure they would work out a way to survive. It might involve some violence here and there, but eventually they would figure that shit out. Whereas if you had a population of all women, they would do just fine as well. They may not be as physically strong, but that's why we have invention. That's why we have brains. I mean, the fact is, is I know a lot of men who aren't physically strong, who do construction work with big machines. If they can do it, women can do it as well. So either side would be just fine. It's not that they lack anything in terms of potential. It's just that they see a difference between them and the other side. And that difference becomes division, as we've discussed before. Right. And then as the religious structure started to fade or as people weren't able to live up to the high demands of religion, as it were, and they just gave up, um, then they started going back to that idea of, oh, if I have a mate, I'm valuable. If, I'm, if I have a wife, I'm valuable. Well, now, now I'm not bothering to get married, but oh, look, I have a girlfriend or I have a partner that makes me valuable because how often have we heard it in our society? If you don't have a partner, right, you're not going to be happy. Got to have someone who loves you. And so now we have, we've settled for just having a partner that we feel like we own. And then later on, it became having multiple partners and valuing ourselves by that, you know, notches on the belt buckle or notches on the headboard, as it were, right? So it just gets out of hand. And then unfortunately, because the dominant male side is physically stronger and has had control of the structure since religion for such a long time, women have been largely ignored. You know, their views about men have largely, largely been either ignored or just straight up silenced. And their views about how they would like to be treated or even viewed have been ignored and silenced, right? Unless again, by men we're like ah that's okay now you can you can you can wear skirts that show your ankles oh you know we don't mind so much you can you can smoke in public things like that and it was up until then they didn't have a say you know they, they had to wait for us to give them voting rights for fuck's sakes you know and why why right but on that on that same token i want to toss in very quickly that it is very important to recognize that while women didn't get the vote until relatively recently neither did men by and large, it was mostly just rich men that had a vote. If you weren't rich or well-respected or you didn't have a number of well-respected rich people to vouch for you, you didn't get a vote. It's important to remember that, that we are all in the same prison as it were. It's just that we've been given a little bit more freedom or at least the illusion of freedom in stages as we went along. But it's really important to remember that while women had to fight for their right to vote, that right to vote is still within a system that's fucked. It's still within a system that takes away all of our freedoms and our rights. So yay, we get to vote or at least have the illusion of a vote. And I think I'm going to rejoice a lot more when men and women stop worrying about whether or not we have the right to vote and we have the right to actually tear down the system and build a new one. I think that's more important than just having the right to vote for a system that doesn't give a fuck about us. Absolutely, yeah. We get so caught up in the black and white of it, of identity, and we forget the nuance to all of it that it's not just men and women there's levels to all of it and there are no objective truths about either side of course there are generalizations and i wanted to touch on some of that here but before i did i shit you not going back to the uh owning wives and and type religious talk so i went to a pretty 
a very conservative Catholic middle school, um, or it was from fifth grade through ninth grade. And my ninth grade religion teacher was like crazy fucking religious, lived across the street, had like 10 kids, didn't have a TV, didn't let his kids have phones, like on the, on the bonkers side of it. If, if, uh, yeah, on that end of the spectrum. So a couple of my good friends were in the class with me and we loved asking crazy questions to him about like, oh, is this a mortal sin? Oh, if I do this, am, am I going to hell? It was like the beginning of my questioning. I was still very much identified as like, you know, Catholic and everything at that point. But there was just so much absurdity in the technicalities of like, if you think this, like, you know, you're going to go to hell. If you imagine someone naked, it's a mortal sin and you're going to hell. And it's like, how fucked is that, that rec in recognizing that your mind is a thinking machine, it's always going to be thinking something like you literally are, it's driven home that you can have that control of it. And if you don't, then you're going to go to hell. Like how much anxiety is that going to induce? And that wasn't even what I was going to talk about. The crazy fucking thing is that we were talking about, you know, husbands and wives and he is essentially of the belief, like you were talking about, that husbands own wives. And so we got into asking about rape. And he literally, I shit you not, said, it's not possible to rape your wife. It's impossible. And I was like, what the fuck? I, I think I went home and, and my parents were like, yeah, no, that's uh, that's not true. Don't listen to, uh, don't listen to him. He's fucking nuts. And yeah, but I will never forget that. Cause I was like, Holy fucking shit. That is, that is bonkers. So I just want to throw that in there. Like that's a real thing that happened once. Um, and that's how crazy some people get, but I was thinking about, you know, the roles, the innate roles that we have and how, since now we're not in, you know, for so long we evolved as hunter gatherers and there were so many uses to that, you know, men went out and hunted in, in general and, you know, killed things. And, and there was a need for that strength and, and, uh, women, you know, stayed with the tribe and, and cared for kids and, and had, were smarter about, you know, the ways to use the things that the men brought back from the hunt and whatnot. And I find it interesting and this just hit me how now that we aren't in that experience anymore, like we're not hunter gatherers, we're in a much different environment that doesn't require those types of skills. How much of our suffering is rooted in those evolutionary aspects of each other? So now, you know, a big part of men is, you know, looking good, having a nice body, like being strong. That's like a way that men are valued and being, you know, very sexual, having a lot of partners, having a lot of things, having a lot of wealth and how, how equatable that is back to hunter gatherer days that it's like, if you're able to build a bigger tribe, have, have more things, have, you know, be strong, which was actually utilized then, which now it's like, you're just strong, you know, on the off occasion that you're going to fight. But even now, you know, I'm, I'm, I can guarantee Ray can beat the shit out of me and I can probably bench more than him. Like it's, it's, there's a massive difference there that isn't actually functional anymore. Like the type of strength I have from like going to the gym and doing curls and, and bench press is not actually functional in the way that it used to be, but now we still value those things, but not in the same way. And 
see it with women. And we're going to be, there's going to be some generalizations in this episode. So don't come in and cancel us. But with women, how back then they were, you know, more cerebral with things, they were able to use their minds more and think about how things were going to go and, and, you know, use their knowledge to build a more functional tribe, care for everyone, be empathetic and, and whatnot like that. And now we see, it seems like in society, so many more women, especially younger women suffering, you know, with mental health issues. It's not to say that men don't, but it seems like there's a, at least a slightly higher percentage of women because, and potentially because back then they were more cerebral, they, they thought more, they used their minds more. And so now because there isn't that need anymore to utilize it in the sense of like building that tribe. It's not to say that like, we don't use our minds anymore, but it's, it's much different. It's for, it's not like a survival tactic any anymore. It's more for obviously, you know, jobs are to a degree a survival tactic, but I think, I think, you know what I mean? It's like a little bit different now than back in the hunter gatherer days. And so now, because we aren't able to push that energy into the same type of thing, similar to men, not being able to push it into hunting and gathering or, or the hunting side of it, that we now see a lot of women suffer through things that are related to that, but because it's like, it's not useful anymore. And so, you know, how do we get out of that or how did we get into it? It's, I think a lot of it has to do with getting caught up in the illusion of identity. And because that is how we valued ourselves back then, it's how we still value ourselves but it's not functional in the same way. So we can let go of a lot of that external value and external validation and need based on all the things we were valued for back then and see more clearly as we let go of that, that, oh, you know, there isn't actually anything that makes me more whole and complete. Back then it was more useful because we were, you know, functional with it. It wasn't that we were thinking about ourselves, but it was, it was a functional aspect of how we lived. And now the function isn't quite there, but I see that the suffering in a lot of ways still is, and it can be sort of equated to those evolutionary aspects of the two genders. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, even if you think about it in terms of the relationship, right? Like Back in the hunter-gatherer days, sure, men were often the hunters and, and the women would take care of, of the tribe. They would take care of the children. They would take care of the elderly. They would make sure that basically everything continued to run while everybody else was away. Um, and there was a relationship built on respect because of that, because they were both working with each other in their own unique way to ensure that everybody survived. And so each side was listened to. Each side, it was, they weren't even looked at as sides so much as just different functions of the whole. We are working together as a whole to continue to survive. And so women were listened to and respected. You know, men were listened to and respected. Doesn't mean they always agreed. Didn't mean they always you know, had, had the same point of view. But the point is that they respected the balance. You know, I mean, even in the indigenous tribes uh, here in North America, like uh, the Congress in the United States is actually formed based on the government of an indigenous tribe. I can't remember which one. I think it might be the Algonquin tribe um, off the top of my head, but it was based on their model, but it deliberately ignored the women elders because while the male elders had their Congress and their government, they would always go and at the end of it, consult with the women. 
who would have their own say. And so the United States just went with the male structured side and took out all of the empathy that would have balanced it out. We have control, right? But no wisdom, there's no balance. And so we have continued to run on these habitual cycles for years and years and years to the point now where you have men who literally value themselves according to how many people they've slept with because they think other men are going to give them higher value as a result. And what's worse is that more than likely they will, but it's not just men. Now you have women bragging about their body count and that's not much different at all. And it's just because they've learned, oh, that's what I'm going to be valued by. And they've started to compare and compete with other people according to how they value themselves. I have a higher body count or a, low, or a lower body count. You'll see people bragging about these things because they think it gives them value. And that's the only reason is because of our habitual way of looking at one another and not recognizing that we're out of balance, that we're no longer adapting to our environment. It's just like you said, we're using an old template on a new way of life. And then we're wondering why it's causing conflict. Well, that's why it's causing conflict. And it's, it's not a result of, and I'm going to say this right now, the problem isn't porn. The problem is the mentality that needs porn. The problem is the mentality that values porn and doesn't question, why am I so drawn to this all the time? It's because you're immediately immersed in your biological base functionality. You're looking at things from the most basic level, got to procreate, and you're not even recognizing it because you've mixed all of that desire in with the need for value. So, this is an excellent opportunity to switch over to the second part of this conversation, because when you are being driven by habit, when you are being driven, driven by instinct, or worse, you're being driven by an egotistical illusion that is based on habit and instinct, do you have free will at all? And so I was thinking that this conversation about free will or predeterminism isn't the black and white dichotomy that we tend to think it is, but that Free will and predeterminism are a spectrum of experience for both the individual and the whole. So as much as the individual is capable of, of traversing that spectrum from just habitual biological lack of awareness to eventually recognizing I'm part of the whole, I am the whole, and thus gaining more potential as a result, that spectrum also goes to all of the people that that person interacts with. And so it's not just that person gaining more awareness and thus more free will experientially, but everybody that they interact with as well. It's kind of like um, a river that's flowing. In the middle of the river, where the, the rapids are the worst, are the highest, where it's the most white water, you have the most potential. Each and every drop could go in any direction at any point, but towards the edges, where the, the ripples don't reach all the time, it starts to stagnate. And in that stagnation, it doesn't have as much ability to move because there isn't as much chaos, there isn't as much challenge, there isn't as much potential. And so that's very much the point in questioning our identity and questioning our habits, questioning our biology. We are freeing up potential. We are moving closer to the white water in the center of the river. And thus we have more potential to change and flow and determine which direction that we're going to go in or to at least enter a position where we have more possibility than we would in stagnation. And so I think that that spectrum, as with everything, really comes down to how aware we are that we are everything. I think that 
cells would have the least in terms of like free will. They are absolutely aware of just being the whole, right? And they don't really have the urge to, to differentiate from that. Although that's not necessarily true. Otherwise we wouldn't have cancer. So obviously that's the case as well. But when we're talking about you know complexity and free will, I think that the more complex the organism, the more cells, the more DNA, the more potential that that organism has, the more potential it has to recognize that it is the whole. And in doing so, free itself from those habits, free itself from that biology, free itself and allow it to actually pave a new way that is entirely different in terms of a paradigm. And you're able to see more options the the more you see yourself as when you're very limited to the idea of yourself you don't see nearly as many options as you do when you recognize that you're everything and there's a an absolutely a snowball effect to this and this is something i've experienced in in many different facets of my life and because we're talking about sexualization i'm going to use this as an example so i didn't jerk off for two years straight I did, you know, the whole no fap thing and yeah, it was, it was two years from, uh, I don't need to say the dates, but they're, they're all irrelevant, but it was interesting because that for many men is a habitual action and it's something I, cause guys talk about it. You know, it's something I know I have friends who do it multiple times a day, like at least every day. And it just becomes this sort of thing because no, it's, it's an aspect of our base level innate drives and, and desires, and it feels good. So therefore, and, and there's a reason it feels good because, you know, reality wants procreation and, and the drive for that, there needs to be an incentive to it. If, if it felt terrible to have an orgasm, like humans would not have been around ever. Like we, it would have ended with this the first ones could be like yeah fuck that i don't need to need to do that and so with that experience that i had that was very much a thing i can point to with this sort of snowball effect no differently than it is with any initial choice that we make so like when i did that i the first month or so was really tough and it was like, yeah, the first month basically was very difficult. I had a lot of urges to do so. And I had to like sort of fight them and, and like be aware of them and, and let them go. And after that month, and it's funny how it was about a month because most people say it takes about three weeks to a month to build a habit, that desire like went away and it almost became a habit not to. And it was no longer like a part of my identity. It's like not something or it became a part of my identity almost on the other side that like, I didn't do it. Cause like I'm open with my friends. Like we talked about it. Most of my friends, most of my friends knew that I was, that I was doing it. And they were like, where, where are we at now? Like, 10 months. And they're like, fuck dude, that's crazy. Um, but it's funny how it was the initial sort of switch that changed it. And over time it, it sort of snowballed into a thing that, I don't need to get into too many details, but basically COVID, COVID ended that um, for me, that, that sort of, uh, yeah, seclusion from uh, society made it a lot more difficult to, to go on. But anyway, uh, that's enough of, of that talk. It's interesting with the, the idea of free will versus predeterminism, how much our awareness and our ability to see options beyond our innate desires allows us to make a decision 
And then as we are able to do that again, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And maybe it, it takes, you know, those uh, takes one step back to take two steps forward. The first, you know, couple times you do it, it might be very difficult. I'm just not, not just talking about what I just talked about. I'm talking about any decision that we ever make because we are habitual creatures. And if you haven't checked out Discover Transcendence, Ray does a fantastic job of talking about habitual or habits and and breaking them and, and becoming aware of them and letting go of them because we are very much innately habitual creatures. But even just recognizing that we are habitual creatures allows us to see those options and actually make shifts and let go. And, and in the moment, because with every decision we ever make, every action we ever take, there's always going to be at least a little split second where we have a choice. We have an option to do this or not to do this. I think the more invested we are in the idea of ourselves, the more difficult it gets because everything is personal. Like when you're so invested in the idea of yourself, everything is personal. And so those habitual actions that are rooted in our ability to survive are going to be a lot more intense as opposed to recognizing unity. There's less, fewer things that are so, so fucking personal all the time. And you actually have a little bit more space to make a different choice and to see things a little bit more clearly and make a decision that may, you know, long-term be a little bit more beneficial than something that short-term, you know, maybe just feels good or you want to do, be it, you know, you're feeling super angry and you want to lash out and like punch that person in the face. You may, if you recognize that, you know, you're not just this thing that they just offended that you can see like, okay, doing this may not be the best decision. And there may be some serious implications to taking this action that, you know, if you have a little bit of a, a bigger runway to make that decision, you're able to see. So I think there's definitely, or probably eh, maybe definitely a correlation between that gap that we have between, you know, the feeling that we get and the action that we take based on how personally we identify, based on how locally we identify. As we expand our identity, our awareness of reality, that expands as well, that ability to. So I think, you know, we, you could argue that we gain more free will the more we let go of the idea of ourselves because everything isn't so personal. We're not just relying on those innate evolutionary human desires anymore. Oh, that's good. It kind of makes you wonder if the experience of not having free will is just from the, the railings that re reality has given us since coming into the world, like all the concepts that we've learned, all the habits, all the perceptions, all the assumptions, all of that stuff. That's just to keep us safe while we start to build our, our form so we can start to experiment in the world, but we don't really get to take off those training wheels until we, until we start to question them. Right, but they are training wheels. That's all they're meant to be. Is where society is like, no, no, this is the epitome. This is it. This is the fastest this goes. You're training wheels forever. Right? And we have to question that, but we don't understand that because everybody around us doesn't want us to do that. I wanted to go back quickly to the topic of an orgasm because there's some interesting symbolism there, as with everything in terms of experience and whatnot. An orgasm is basically the definition of relaxation at the moment of climax you're as relaxed as you're going to get and that is one of the reasons it's so addictive it's like a drug in itself 
right? But it was meant to be kind of the reward for a meaningful, sensitive relationship with someone, as it were, connecting with another person, the product being another person, but from an experience that was genuinely fulfilling, touching God, essentially is, is the point of what a sexual relationship has the potential to be in its most pure form, in its most beautiful and, and undistorted or, or unegotistical form, right? And so it's important to remember that, that often what we're doing is we're chasing a high. That's what we're chasing. And that's okay, because at one point that high was meant to help us propagate the species, as we've said, but now we're just chasing the high for the worst reasons, whether it's, you know, to, to seal our legacy or to have more kids or to prove that we're, we're more valuable or any of these things. And so we've taken this mechanism in reality that's meant to help you know, kind of encourage us along. And we totally distorted it, which explains why we have 8 billion fucking people on the planet. All of a sudden, we're just not in balance. We're taking something too far. And as a result, we're throwing everything else out of balance. And we were talking about this previously in terms of um, how all the chemicals that are in the sea, in the air, in the ground, in certain parts of the world are actually considerably dropping the sperm count in human males. What is that if not balance being restored naturally over time? And I'm going to say this on air, though, I'm really hoping it comes across in the way that I mean it to. In terms of the LGBTQ community, I think it's incredibly telling that in the last decade, for example, just in the United States, the LGBTQ community has doubled. In the last decade, in the United States alone. Why? It depends on who you talk to. I've had a lot of gay friends in my life. Some of them have said straight up, I never chose to be gay. I was born this way. And to me, that makes perfect sense. Awareness is changing its strategy. We're overpopulated. Why would we continue to have more variations that are going to contribute to that problem? So it perfectly makes sense as, as, as a safety mechanism that we would just stop wanting to procreate. We would have more and more versions of ourselves that just don't have that drive because we're not listening to ourselves. We need that just to restore balance. This is also the reason I find it really funny that same-sex couples are seven times more likely to adopt which also addresses that imbalance. So everything is connected. All of it is working together. It's just that the less awareness we have, which means the more habitual we are, the more lost in this old narrative we are, the less we can see it happening, the less we're aware of that balance trying to restore itself and the less we appreciate those who are trying to restore it. I mean, how much bigotry is out there against gay people? when the fact is they're probably one of our biggest saving graces right now in terms of our population. And not just in terms of our population, but in terms of their message. Love one another, regardless of gender, regardless of identity. Like that is the message that we're talking about. So you can see it bubbling to the surface in humanity. And it really just comes, it comes back down to us kicking that habit, reestablishing our experience of being free, and then we can decide where we go from there. Yeah, pride, the main message out there, be yourself, be proud of who and what you inherently are. Stop trying to be something that you're not. It all goes hand in hand. And I'm very glad you brought this up because I know we've talked about this off air, this 
this hot take, but I absolutely see that as being a potential consideration. And I don't know how many people have thought about this before that more gay people coming out and, and the LGBTQ community growing, being a direct recognition by reality, by the truths of what we are as recognizing that we're, there's too many of us. Let's, let's start making some, creating some that aren't going to keep fucking producing people. And it's, it's so interesting. And yeah, I, I see that as absolutely being part of, of that shift for sure. And, and just the entire community and, and the message. And obviously as that's grown, there's been more pushback to the system that has suppressed that, you know, like I, I still remember I was at that fucking super conservative Catholic middle school when the ban on gay marriage was still happening and the whole like vote yes movement was happening. And I remember thinking as like a, you know, eighth grader, 12, 13 years old, like that's so fucked. Like, why do they fucking care so much? And, and it's just this belief and they have to hold on to it. And, and it's, it's fascinating how much of the shifts are all happening simultaneously, like right now. And I, I won't even discount the fact that dualist unity arose into reality. And this conversation is happening on a larger and larger scale. More people are waking up. More people are seeing things a lot more clearly, letting go of the old archaic belief systems. And it's very exciting times to say the least. And, and something I wanted to go back to was the, the orgasm uh, discussion as well, because it's fascinating when you mentioned that orgasming is just a, a, like, you know, potentially our deepest state of relaxation and how it's seen as such a desirable thing and how many people like they, they desire it so much. And I found that with myself, as I've become more relaxed in my life, I don't desire it as much. So I, I actually drew this little thing on my page here. Like if orgasm is like peak relaxation, then like, people who are super relaxed are like maybe right here all the time, like a little bit below it. And then people who are super fucking stressed all the time are like way down here. So they desire that significantly more and they have more drive to do so because they aren't able to experience it in the rest of their life. As you are more relaxed, as you are more, you know, accepting of the way things are less resistant to reality, you don't have quite so much of that, you know, desire to like fucking orgasm every single day. And not the least of which being super fucking religious people are always pretty tense. I'm not going to, you know, totally generalize, but for the most part, they're tense because they're afraid they're going to fucking burn in hell if they do something wrong. They're afraid if they picture that woman naked down the street, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. How fucking stressed is that going to make you? Holy shit. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can because I, I experienced that for a little bit of my life. I got out of it pretty quick, but yeah, that's going to make you super fucking stressed. And so that separation between your general reality, your, your baseline reality and the relaxation of an orgasm is going to be fucking huge, you know? And as you let go of all of those beliefs, all of those narratives, all of those things that build resistance between you and reality, which are beliefs, literally beliefs, our resistance to the flow. If reality is always the flow, the truth of what you are is always a flow. The systems you put in place, the guardrails, the beliefs will always 
cut you off. And the more cut off you are, the further you are from that peak relaxation, the more you're going to desire it, the more you're going to feel this drive to experience that. And it's going to dictate some of so much of your life. And you're going to be more identified, more confined to what you can do in this reality, as opposed to the more relaxed you are, it's like the more freedom you experience, the more options that you see, the more clearly you're able to see everything. And it's like, I almost picture it like if you're less relaxed, it's it's like a cone with the or a triangle with the point being at the base. And that's like not relaxed at all. And as it widens, the wider it is, the more options you see. And so when you're super fucking tense, stressed all the time, you're thinking about yourself. You don't see as many options because you're focused on those baseline evolutionary tendencies that have allowed you to survive. As you let go more and more of that, you move up that triangle. All of a sudden you see more and more options. You feel more and more relaxed. You see things a lot more clearly. There's more opportunities to see changes, ways to impact reality. And all of a sudden reality begins to change as more and more people start to experience that state. So yeah, it's uh yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> no, that's great. I want to tie this back quickly to the uh, scale of consciousness talked about by uh, Hawkins in power versus force quickly, because we had talked about uh, pride, how pride is basically the message that's coming across. Be yourself. What's wrong with being yourself? Well, in, in Hawkins chart, pride is the last level before courage, before consciousness really takes that shift to just being what it is without needing to justify or defend or anything. It's just, this is what it is. There's no more reward. There's no more carrot. There's no more stick. And so pride is just before that. If anybody's looking for an indication of, of where it is that we're going as a collective, that's a pretty good indication. We keep hearing the same messages, but it's being drowned out by a terrified society, unfortunately. But I also wanted to talk about how what you were just talking about, that experience of potential widening versus potential, uh, potential seeming like it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And once you're defining yourself in terms of value, then that's a very slippery slope. And at the bottom of that slope is the urge to take advantage of anyone sexually, regardless of who they are or how old they are, because you feel fucking valueless. And that's where you get fucking rape and pedophilia and fucking nasty ass priests doing their thing. And it's because they're thinking about themselves so much to the point where they feel so powerless that they would do anything to get out of that state, including make it worse because they lack the clarity to see that their actions are actually burying them. Right. And so once again, you have to question your identity. You have to stop feeling like you lack value. You have to stop judging yourself. You have to crawl out of apathy and shame and all through that shit, let go of desire and fear and all of it to just be yourself. And at that point, you won't give a shit if you have sex or not. Like if it comes up, great, cool. This is fun. If it doesn't, you're not lacking. You're not looking for it. You're not chasing anything because when you're whole and complete, there's nothing to chase then we have freedom. Then we can look at the entire board and decide what we want to do because we're not being pushed and pulled by invisible forces that are only invisible because we haven't taken the time to look at them. So this has been a hell of an interesting conversation. There's a lot that we could continue to go into on this one, but we're going to wrap this up here because 
it is a community topics episode and we do try to keep those a little bit shorter and more digestible but if anybody would like us to delve deeper into this subject in any particular direction because as andrew and i have already said there are dozens of paths that we could take from this conversation do recommend it to us on discord or patreon for the next community topics because this is a lot of fun and assuming that this episode doesn't get us canceled I'm really, really looking forward to some of the feedback that we get from this discussion, because admittedly, as I said at the beginning, there was a little bit of apprehension going into this. And it's not because we're offensive and it's not because we're bigoted or anything. We really do try to be as balanced and level-headed about this stuff as we can, but it's a minefield in terms of challenging the ego, challenging these habits, challenging these very common sources of perceived value somebody's going to get offended. We know that. So if you're not one of those people, I just wanted to say thank you. We appreciate you hanging out throughout this entire episode, and we look forward to your feedback. Absolutely. Just one last thing I wanted to end on was going back to that uh, cone example. It's and something that Ray once told me when you know we had one of our side chats is when you recognize and, and let go more and more of that idea of yourself and, and the limitations that that creates that that cone that you stem from that point at the bottom seeing almost no valuing yourself and therefore no options besides those innate desires as you expand from that the options increase and as you fully get out of that eventually there is no longer self and there are an infinite number of options and if we look at it in the case of a trajectory be it on the individual or the collective it's the recognition that there's no trajectory in being God. And those are raised words. I'm not going to take credit for that, but I thought that was a uh, decent way to finish off this fucking dope episode. I'm so hyped about this one, but yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah, agreed. I love community topics. These are so much fun. Uh, we're going to wrap this up here. Thank you everyone for this community topic suggestion. It was a hell of a good conversation. We'll see you next week. Bye everyone.